gather with you here this morning as you make your way in and so you prepare ourselves to, to worship God and to be gathered together in this place. If you're new or you're visiting, my name's Tim. I'm the, I'm the pastor here, senior pastor at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. Glad that you're here with us. If you are new or visiting, there's a, a connect card on the seat in front of you. We would invite you to fill that out and pass along any information about yourself you would like us to know. It's a way for us to just know a little bit about you and be able to connect with you. So if you want to pass along any information, you can fill that out and put those in the wooden boxes that are on the back wall on your way out. Those wooden boxes are also where tithes and offerings um, can be given that support the work of our church. So I'll give you a little kind of picture for how this morning will run. We'll have the worship service now this morning and then following the service at 10.30 we'll have Sunday school downstairs for kids over in the library wing. We'll have a, a class talking about the habits of the household and parenting and that's how we run our household to point our families toward Jesus. This morning we're talking about discipline and discipleship of kids. So I think it's a valuable topic. So if you're interested in that, we invite you to come to the library following the service. And then in here, um, there will be a question and answer time about the sermon led by Eric Gustafson. So he'll be here to lead that, answer questions about the sermon, lead a discussion about that as well. Just a couple of announcements to bring to your attention. The so one is that coming up on February 16th, There'll be a movie night here hosted by Fun Club. It'll be a movie kind of targeted toward kids, but anyone's invited and welcome to come. So we'll have dinner beforehand. That'll start at 6, and then at 6.30 the movie will begin. Also coming up on Thursday, February 15th, we have Common Ground, a women's event. If you're interested in that, we'd invite you to, to be a part of that as well. And if you've been doing our fighter verse, Christian Memory, with us this year so far. Last week's verse is up there. It's a continuation from the previous week. So if you've done the last two weeks, you know all of 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22. And this coming week's verse, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, that you honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your produce, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. If you're interested in memorizing scripture with us, that's the verse we'll memorize this week. We invite you and encourage you to do that. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Ian uh, took some of our youth to our, our district's youth event so to tell us a little bit more about how that went. He's going to come and share with us this morning. Or show us the video. The roads were terrible. I didn't think we were going to make it. At first I was like, dang, there goes 150 bucks. <laughs> Should we live stream? Should we hang out at church and just watch districts. So just sitting in my bed watching it on my computer, I was like, yeah, free stuff! Like, I was so excited. And it was better than not being able to watch it at all. District 2024! We made it through the Now we're here. We made it. It really felt like it was districts again once we got to the primetime rally. This is what it's all about. You know, you don't have to have everything figured out to come and see Jesus. 
Brandon, the great speaker, comes on, and he really touched my heart. He really just went over all the small little details that you don't even think about in the scripture. We don't let everybody into every part of our life, but Jesus wants us to get as close as possible. Everyone in the room has the same ambition. Like, we all love the Lord, and we're all here to worship Him and just to, like, spend time with Him. It's crazy, like, how you can feel, like, the Holy Spirit working within every worship that there's going on here. It's just amazing. Yeah, so today we are packing 75,000 meals, going to the kids in the Congo, kids in Ecuador, Dominican Republic, and Uganda. Thank you so much to Districts for having us out here. We love being a part of this. It's one of our favorite events of the entire year. We appreciate you and we love you. How do you feel? I feel amazing. I feel like a ninja. Look at that, I got a noggin on me. Are you ready? Oh yeah. I'm ready. Ready for war. What do you think is in the balloon? Whipped cream. What if it's like confetti? There's so much love in the building, and you can just feel it as soon as you walk in. Who you have faith in determines your direction. And as his hand is reaching out to you, my prayer is that you would grab it and that you would be ready for the next steps. I don't know how to express how much I love districts. I love this place. The memories that we make here are some of the ones that I carry with me all year. So it's just incredible. This is the best weekend of my life every single year. I'm definitely coming back next year. Thank you, District, so much for being such a big part of my life and helping me strengthen my faith and become the man I am today. Thank you. So that was Districts 2024, and if you went to Districts, can you guys come up on stage? I was kind of worried that there was only going to be like one of you here today, but that's not true. Adults as well. So this year we had nine students and three leaders go to Districts, and I, was it a pretty good year? It was a pretty good year. Um, when we were getting ready to go, we were watching a storm and seeing it 
coming and weren't sure what we were supposed to do. Um, we had the option the night before, late in the afternoon, to go and go down beforehand, but we decided because of some school stuff and other things going on that we had to go the next day. So instead of taking two hours and change to get to Green Bay, it took us four hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Um, but we, we made it and it was a good year. Can you guys briefly, one thing that you really liked about districts, okay? One thing. I liked spending time with a bunch of other Christian believers and uh, getting to spend time with them. Um, I liked the worship. I liked the community of like all the other believers and just all the energy. I loved playing lots of games with the girls and just seeing everybody grow. The worship was probably my favorite part. It was a great year, and we had a great group. And thank you for everyone who prayed for us and who supported us going. And um, it's, it is an experience to worship in a room with 4,000 students and leaders. Um, I'm told that the late night dance party on Saturday night smelled awful. <laughs> and uh, all the leaders were in the room next door, and you could hear it through the wall. And it was like, yeah, I, none of us are going in there. But the rest of the weekend was great. So thank you, and it was, it was a great district's weekend. We're going to transition now into our focused time of, of worship. And so as we, we prepare for that, I'm going to give you a few moments of, of quiet to focus your mind, to set aside any distractions you come in here with this morning and fix your mind on, on the God we're about to worship together. So would you take a few moments of silence? Father, now as we begin to praise you and worship you through song, would you be with us with the words that leave our mouths be genuine overflow of our heart. Would you be going through the motion, but that our worship would be genuine and honoring to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we begin now a time of, of praising God through singing. Would you, would you stand? Would you read responsive responsively with me these words that are on the screen. Let us worship God, our light and our salvation. We desire to live in God's house and to seek God in his holy temple.
Let us worship God in spirit and in truth.
Father, we gather here now because what we just sang is true. Though our sins are, are many, though they are deep, far, far more than we'd like to admit, your mercy is still more. You have, by your grace, through Jesus, lavished us with, with mercy and grace and forgiveness so that though our sins are indeed many, we are forgiven and we can come before you to worship and to adore and to praise you. So Father, we thank you. We praise you for sending Jesus to live among us sinful though we were, to die in our place on the cross, to take our sins upon himself and to forgive us of our sins. Father, would that truth never grow stale? Would it never get old? But would we be amazed day after day at the depth of your love for us that you would send your Son to die in our place for our sins? Father, we know that you love us and that you care for us. And so I pray now for those who are here in our church family who are hurting, who are sick, who are walking through hard times, that you would be with them, that you would make them keenly aware of your presence alongside them, even in challenging times. the love you displayed by sending Jesus would be a reminder to each of us that you love us in the midst of all that we go through. So Father, as we continue to to sing and to worship, would all that we do here this morning, as we sing, as we hear your word, as we fellowship together, would all serve to bring honor and glory to your name for what you've done for us. Especially what you've done for us in Jesus and forgiving our sins. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we continue? Say 
You came down to find a 
Galatians 6, 11 through 18. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether, me, whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this disciple. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that I show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Kids in 4K through second grade can head down there if they want at this time for, for Children's Church. Shrek came out when I was in eighth grade, and it quickly became one of my, my favorite, probably my favorite animated movie of all time. Like it, and like, I like to say that it's my favorite because the jokes are funny and stuff. Right? But when I was in eighth grade, if I'm being honest, there's probably something about the message that like, an antisocial, overweight guy can make friends and fall in love that resonated with me as an eighth grader. Right? Like it, that message kind of kind of hit home, but I I love Shrek. It was popular in our household. We watched it pretty often, and we're not the only one. Right? According to from data I found, Shrek is the the 18th highest grossing movie franchise of all time. So there's there's six movies in the whole franchise, and combined they've made over four billion dollars at 
the box office. And one of the things that, that have made the, the franchise so popular is that it constantly takes traditional fairy tale ideas and tropes and flips them on their head. Maybe the, one of the more obvious examples of this is with the princess Fiona in the first movie. <clears throat> if you're not familiar with the, with the setup, Shrek is a grumpy ogre who's coerced by Lord Farquaad into, into rescuing the beautiful princess Fiona from a castle tower where she's guarded by a dragon. Right? So very traditional setup. Lord Farquaad wants to marry her so that he can become king. So Shrek goes off and he successfully rescues Fiona. But after the rescue, it's revealed that Fiona's under this witch's curse and that she herself turns into an ogre at, at sunset and revert to her traditional form only at sunrise. It's also revealed that, that only true love's kiss will break the curse. And in breaking the curse, it will transform her into, quote, true love's form. And so it's all very kind of traditional fairy tale setup. And then Fiona and Shrek are traveling back to the castle where she's supposed to marry Farquaad, and, but they begin to fall in love on the way back. But a, a series of a miscommunications had them have a falling out, and, <clears throat> and Fiona then goes to the castle and they want to marry Farquaad. They're at the wedding. But at the last second, Shrek interrupts the marriage and he confesses his true feelings for Fiona and Fiona reciprocates those feelings. And then they share a kiss and there's this magical lighting that takes place and you can tell that the curse is being broken. And kind of through this magical lighting, Fiona kind of falls out of frame. You can't see her for a second. And then when the lighting falls away, Fiona, in daylight, is suddenly an ogre. Instead of true love kiss transforming her into a full-time human, it turned into, it turned into a permanent full-time ogre. Like when, the, when the transformation is revealed, like life suddenly makes more sense for Fiona. She's always kind of struggled to conform to the image of a fairy tale princess. She's always struggled to be the damsel in distress, and she wasn't dainty, and she... They didn't have impeccable manners, and she, she wasn't longing for a knight in shining armor. She, she didn't relish the ideal, idea of being Laura Farquaad's token queen. The life of the princess didn't really make sense for Fiona. But when she was transformed into a, a full-time ogre, she was given a new identity, even though it's not the identity that society would say was ideal. She was no longer under this painful curse. Now with the curse broken, she was free to be her true self, right? the, the ogre Fiona. She was, she was transformed. She was given a new identity. And because of that, life made more sense. You could kind of sum up Fiona's story this way. That instead of being crushed by the weight of conforming to the standards and expectations of others, Fiona found freedom by being transformed into true love's form. And it turned out there's actually some, some interesting parallel between Fiona's story and what Paul's been telling us throughout the book of, of Galatians. This morning, Cohen just read for us Galatians 6, 11 through 18. And these are Paul's final words in the book of, of Galatians. This is the last passage in the letter. And like any good conclusion, Paul uses these last verses to kind of sum up the entire book. 
He brings everything together, brings everything home. And kind of verse 15, if you wanted to summarize the book of Galatians in one verse, you could do a lot worse than verse 15 of chapter 6. Right? It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And you may hear that, you may think, yeah, like, I completely agree. Right? It shouldn't matter whether anyone's circumcised or not. Like, I agree, so check, I'm good, next. But what we need to recognize here is that throughout this whole book, Paul's been using circumcision as kind of a stand-in for any activity, any behavior that's done to earn God's favor rather than trusting in Christ for God's favor. I'll use this circumstance as a stand-in for, for any form of, of legalism that may exist. It just so happens that, that circumcision was the contentious issue of, of Paul's day. And it's the issue that people cared most about when Paul wrote it when it came to law obedience. But you can put any act of legalism in there in place of circumcision. The point is that there are those in the church in Galatia who are trying to make Gentile believers in Jesus conform to their Jewish cultural values. And though circumcision is not a real relevant issue in our day, we still are prone to make whether or not someone conforms to our cultural values a, a determiner of what we think about their salvation and their status before God. That's also important to note here that when Paul says it doesn't matter, he means like it doesn't matter for contributing to salvation. And Paul himself encouraged Timothy to be circumcised. Not because Timothy needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, but for the sake of Timothy's work in advancing the gospel. So there is a sense in which whether we do or don't do certain things matters. Now we can go live however we want all of a sudden. We've been talking about that throughout this whole sermon series. But when it comes to salvation itself, when it comes to how we are saved, our act of obedience, our act of legalism, don't earn God's favor. They don't matter. Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you conform to this part of the law or that part of the law. What matters is whether you've been transformed through faith in Jesus, into a new creation that's been given a new identity and new motives. Like that's what matters. Or to put it a little more succinctly, what matters is not confirmation, not conforming to someone else's values and standards, but transformation. So often in life we feel pressure to conform. Either to conform to the, the standard of society in general or to the standards of some group that we want to be a part of. Oftentimes, that group is our, our religious tribe. And those behaviors can be good things in and of themselves. But often our motivation in doing those good things is more about fitting in and belonging to our tribe than it is about honoring God. And that's the issue that Paul is writing to the Galatians about. He's writing them to, to remind them over and over again that right, what matters is the work of the Holy Spirit in them through faith in Jesus to transform them and not any single act of obedience. And we say Paul wrote this letter, 
But in actuality, for most of this letter, he, he actually dictated the letter to a scribe, which was common practice in the ancient world. And we see this happen in lots of other of Paul's letters. Right? For example, in Romans, as, as Paul is saying a final goodbyes and greetings, often there's this interjection in verse 22 of chapter 16 of Romans where we read this. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings to as one of the Lord's followers. Right? So the book of Romans was still authored by Paul, right? but Tertius did the actual writing. He's the one who wrote. He was the scribe. And in Galatians, we don't know who the actual scribe is. It could have been Tertius again. We don't know for sure. But a scribe had been writing most of this letter for Paul. Paul has been dictating to him. But for this last passage, the part that Cohen just read for us, Paul himself takes the, the quill and he writes himself in his own hand. That's why verse 11 he says, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Paul himself takes the pen, he takes the quill and writes these last words. And he does that because just as like, receiving a, a handwritten note is more personal than receiving a form letter, so too to Paul writing this last part in his own handwriting add a little extra weight to what he's about to say in the passage. And the message Paul wants to drive home, these final words, right, don't conform, right, be transformed. And the reason he doesn't want the Galatians to conform to the pressures that are being placed on them is that the reason we conform is not to honor God, but the reason we conform is often to impress others. Conforming is all about fitting in and, and going along for the sake of popularity. The goal of conforming is about bringing honor and glory to ourselves and make ourselves feel good, and not about honoring God and His kingdom. Look at the first part of verse 12. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. These people who are urging the Galatian Christians to be circumcised, they're not doing it out of a, a deep concern for the, the well-being of the Galatians. They're doing it because they want to look good for others. And it's sad to admit, at least for me, like, how much of my behavior is motivated by the same thing. Like, how much of what I do is motivated because like, I want to look good for others. I want to impress those around me. People-pleasing is one of the most common motivators of human behavior. I think of even like supposedly like, non-conformist countercultures. They all kind of end up looking alike. Like, like I can show you this picture and you immediately recognize like, that person is a hippie. Right? Like, despite the fact that, that the, whole, the whole hippie ethos is that like it's a countercultural about nonconformity, yet they all have this very identifiable look. Like even nonconformist cultures end up being conformist. There's a deeply ingrained desire in each of us for, for connection and relationship that's God given. But often we seek that connection and that relationship by by conforming ourselves to, to the standards and expectations of others around us. 
I want a group of friends, and those, those hippies seem all right, so I'm going to dress like them, be like them. We can form ourselves to find connection, to find relationship. And this is just as prevalent in the Christian life as anywhere else. Like we can form to impress others. In the passage we just heard read, we, Paul lays out three ways that we, we tend to conform in order to impress others. See the first one in, in the second half of verse 12. Paul writes, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross alone can save. We're tempted right, to conform in order to impress others by our, by our relevance. That the false teachers in the church in Galatia right, knew that they would face heavy persecution if they preached that that the cross alone could save and that you didn't need to be circumcised. Right? They wanted to add this requirement of circumcision to the cross to let their message become more palatable. They wanted to make it more culturally acceptable, their message. Remember, a lot of the followers of Jesus in Galatia had come out of Jewish culture. They still had friends and family and, and neighbors who were Jewish. And they knew that like, following Jesus was never going to be popular with their friends and those families and those neighbors. But they could make it slightly more palatable if they could say, look, we still require circumcision. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around just how big of a deal circumcision was to the Jewish people. And just how earth-shattering an idea it would have been that to be a member of God's family didn't require circumcision. It was unthinkable in that culture. And so preaching that, that the cross alone could save and that circumcision was not required was a recipe for persecution. And so many in the church in Galatia tried to make their message more relevant, more palatable, more acceptable to the culture by requiring circumcision in addition to believing in Jesus. We face the same temptations today. Obviously not about circumcision. But we try to make the message of the gospel more palatable to our audience by either adding to or subtracting from it. The message that the cross alone saves is just as likely to draw persecution today as it was in Paul's time. And it will draw persecution from all directions. On the one hand, many in the culture will be offended that that the message of Jesus means that faithful followers of other religions can't be saved. On the other hand, some people will be offended that the message of Jesus means that people who don't meet their moral standard can be saved. And outside the church, that's the first message that will draw persecution. That there are many in our world today and in our culture who will be offended by the exclusivity of the gospel. That it's only through Jesus and his death on the cross that you can be forgiven of your sins and saved. That's offensive to much of the world. But inside the church, right, it's the inclusivity of the gospel that would draw persecution. What do you mean that person can be saved? They commit this sin or that sin. Like they believe differently than I do on this theological issue or that theological issue. They don't vote the way I do. That they don't spend their time and their money the way I would. 
They aren't conforming to my moral convictions. Like, how can they even claim to be a Christian? What do you mean the cross is enough to save them from that sin? Like, we tend to be very confident that, that Jesus' death on the cross is, is sufficient to cover our own sin and the sins of the people who conform to our image. But we tend to think that people whose sins don't look like ours are irredeemable. And so we in the church are, are pressured to add to the requirements of, of salvation. Because we don't want to be persecuted for, for preaching that, that Christ alone can save. We're tempted to conform, to be relevant, either relevant to the world by, by being wishy-washy on the exclusivity of the gospel, or relevant to Christian culture by, by adding things that are required for salvation. But in the end, both of those forms are conforming. And we must be on guard against each of them. We must not conform our message for the sake of being relevant to our audience. We see another way that we conform in verse 13. Paul writes, Even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Right, when when conforming is our goal, rather than transformation, then we will seek to impress others through our kind of perceived obedience. But those who were advocating for circumcision weren't worried about keeping the whole law. They only cared about being seen as obedient to the, the morals that the culture cared about. Not all the morals that God cared about. They're thinking, well, it doesn't matter what, what sin is going on inside my heart, because right? no one can see that. As long as I'm being obedient in the areas where, where people can see me and care, that's what matters. Seeking to conform rather than be transformed leads to a kind of performative righteousness right? where we put on our, our moral clothing and we make sure that people who are looking at it can see how moral and righteous and good we are. But what happens behind the scenes, the depth of our heart don't really matter because no one can see that. This is a problem in modern day Christianity as well. There are many Christians who, who care far more about looking the part, about being accepted into a Christian tribe and having the, the relationship that comes with that, then they actually care about living the holy life that God called them to live. And so they conform their outward behavior to the Christian template. But behind closed doors, right, sin runs rampant. We've talked in, in recent weeks about the lack of, <clears throat> the lack of confession in so many modern Christian circles. I think this is part of the reason why. We fear that if we, we confess our sin, especially sin that happens in secret, sin that happens behind closed doors, then we'll no longer impress others by our perceived obedience. People's opinions of us will lower because of what we confess. We'll be cast out of our, our Christian circles. We'll be ostracized at church for not conforming to the, the Christian image. 
caring more about impressing others by our perceived obedience leads to a lack of confession that allows sin to grow in us and not be exposed and dealt with. We care more about conforming than being transformed. We won't confess sin. Because when we care more about conforming, then what matters to us is what people perceive about us, not our actual obedience. Not actually putting sin to death through confession, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not inviting fellow believers to hold us accountable and to help us overcome sin. We'd rather wrestle with our sin in private and struggle and fail than we would invite other believers to help us fight it, because that would mean exposing our sin. And so we, we seek to impress others by our perceived obedience. We see a third way in the second half of verse 13 that we seek to impress others. Paul writes, They only want to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Again, those who were advocating for circumcision weren't doing it because they actually cared about the spiritual well-being of their audience. They were doing it because they wanted to be able to boast and claim, like, hey, that's my disciple. That, that's mine. That they wanted to be able to boast about the influence they had over others. They want to be able to point to people and say, like, hey, see the guy over there? Like, Paul told him he, wasn't gonna, he didn't need to be circumcised, he wasn't going to be circumcised, but, but I talked him into it. Like, like, through my superior theology and oratory, I convinced him that he should do it. In fact, I've convinced, like, 15 people, like, aren't I great? Aren't I influential? Look at me. We want to be seen as people of influence which is perhaps why in recent years there's a whole new career that's emerged out of nowhere called influencers. An influencer, the person with the ability to influence potential buyers of a product or service by promoting or recommending the items on social media. The people who make whole careers out of, of building a following online and then convincing their followers to buy the product or the services that they are being paid to promote. Right? That's the whole career. Like build an online following, sell stuff. Influence people to buy the things you're selling. In one recent poll, 57% of Gen Zers, that people aged 13 to 26, say they want to be influencers when they grow up. 57%. And there's a reason for that. that there's like something deeply satisfying about knowing we have influence over others. Like we like the feeling of having influence over others. And of course, right, there are good and right ways to, to use the influence that we have, do have, that God has given us. I'm not saying that influence itself is bad. Right? I try to influence my kids all day, every day. In a sense, like this sermon itself is an attempt to influence you and influence your thinking. But the question is not whether we have influence or whether we use influence, but why we're using our influence. What's the goal of our influencing? And if the goal of our influencing is to say, look how influential I am, then we've missed the point. 
our goal is to say, look how influential I am, right, then we will inevitably try to influence people towards things that are culturally popular and trendy. It's just much easier to influence someone to do something that is popular rather than unpopular. So if influence is our ultimate goal, our end goal, we'll influence people towards what is popular and trendy and not what is not towards what is good or true. So we must use our influence. We all have it. We must use our influence, but must use it not to conform people into our image or into the image of the culture around us. We need to use our influence to invite people to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of God. So Paul says again in verse 15. We read it once, but we're looking at it again. Verse 15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter whether we've conformed to Jewish cultural standard or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Any other way that we would use our influence doesn't matter because what matters, what counts is that we have been transformed. We have been transformed. We are, we are made into a new creation. Right? That when we confess our sins, when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and He dwells in us and He makes us into this new creation. The old sinful self is put to death and the new creation is brought to life. We're forgiven. We have eternal life to look forward to because of what Jesus did in dying for us. But we're, we're made into this new creation, and that's what matters. Right? That we, we trust in Jesus to be transformed. And so if you're here, and you've been living a life where, from the outside, you, you look Christian, because you've always conformed to the Christian cultural model, but you've never been transformed by the power of the Spirit by actually believing in Jesus. And I would urge you to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't make your life's goal fitting in with the Christian crowd. We're not that cool. Make your life about being transformed by the power of the gospel through faith in Jesus. This, no, this new creation that we're transformed into no longer seeks to impress others by conforming to their standards. But instead, as new creations, we only care about living in a way that honors God. In particular, Paul highlights two ways here that we are, we are transformed, two things that change in us when we are transformed. The first is seen in verse 14. He says, After me... May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. So when we are transformed, then all we care about boasting about is the cross of Jesus. The, the interest in the world that we used to have is, is, has died our motive to, to chase after things of the world, to chase after things that the world is important, they, they, they die, they are, they are crucified. Our motives 
have changed. We've been given new motive by the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 5 of this letter, Paul said, if the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants, but the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. When we receive the Spirit, the Spirit gives us new desires, new motives that are not about chasing after the things that the world that they're valuable. The desires and the, the motives of the world no longer have power over us. And that doesn't mean we, we withdraw and we retreat from the world. That defeats the purpose. Right? Tim Keller puts it this way. Paul is not saying that I must have nothing to do with the people and things of the world. Ironically, if I must have nothing to do with the world and must separate from it, then the world still has quite a lot of power over me. When we, when we receive the Spirit, when we're transformed into a new creation, we can live in the world without being held in its power. The values of the world are dead to us. They've been crucified, Paul says. And all that matters to us now is it's God's values, God's desires. And our motives are to honor God, not to impress others. So I can live in the world as God's ambassador, inviting people into a better way of life by following Jesus, of experiencing the transformation for themselves. I can invite people into a way of life that, that frees them from the, the rat race that the world itself promotes. Our desire, our, our motives as a new creation are all about God's kingdom and not the kingdom of the world. We're transformed and given new motives. The other new thing we receive when we're transformed is found in verse 16. Write this. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. When we are transformed, we're, we're given a new identity. And namely, when we're transformed, we become the new people of God. Literally, Paul writes that they are the new Israel of God. The new Israel. That's kind of Paul's one final closing jab at those who are promoting circumcision. Because they're saying to be a a true member of God's family, to be a, a member of the true Israel, of God's special chosen people, then then they have to be Circum- gets to be circumcised. But Paul says that, that anyone who believes in Jesus is a member of the true Israel, of, of God's family. We're transformed through, through faith in Jesus. We receive a new identity as, as sons and daughters of God when we have trusted in Jesus. Our identity is not contingent on any particular action or any particular thing we do from the fact that we believe in Jesus. And of course, when we are transformed, when we have these new motives and this new identity, then those new motives and that new identity will impact how we live. So again, it's not that how we live doesn't matter. What matters is living out of our transformation, not 
living in order to conform to a preset image. I saw a video this week where there's a guy talking about the difference between what he called progressive Christianity and conservative Christianity. And he was very clearly in the progressive Christianity camp. And he was talking about how the difference between progressive Christians and non-progressive Christians is this. He said, and again, you're not going to agree with this, and I'm not saying to agree with this, just this is what he said. He said, conservative Christians are all about not doing, and he gave a list of, you know, not doing X, Y, Z, drinking, sex, whatever else, right? Down the list. Where he said, Christ, progressive Christians are all about doing, and he had a list of feeding, healing, helping, yada, yada, yada. I just listen to that, and I'm thinking, like, look, there's many things we shouldn't do, and there are many things we should do, but true Christianity is not about doing or not doing. That's what Paul is saying here. True Christianity is all about Jesus and living in, in faith in Christ. And when we have faith in Jesus, when our life is all about Jesus, then we will be transformed. When we're transformed, we will naturally do both what Jesus would have us do and not do what Jesus would not have us do. When we're living in faith of Jesus, we both do and don't do the things that Jesus called us to do. But neither of those things, neither doing nor not doing, is ultimately what Christianity is about. It's about Jesus. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. Not ultimately whether we feed the poor or whether we abstain from foul language. Neither of those are what ultimately matters. What matters is faith in Jesus that transforms us into a new creation. As we go from here, we go not seeking to put on a Christian costume, act in a certain Christian way. We go out living in light of the fact that we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that Jesus has called us to do to abstain from the sin that Jesus had called us to abstain from. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for Jesus. And though we fail over and over again to live the way you've called us to live, though we think simple thoughts and do simple deeds and fail to do the good things you've called us to do so often, though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Father, we thank you that after Jesus died and rose to heaven, that you did not leave us to figure it, out, figure it out on our own, but that you sent your Holy Spirit to live inside each of us who believe in Jesus, to transform us into a new creation with new motives and a new identity so that we can be people 
who live for your glory. We don't live to impress others. We don't live for our own reputation or for our own glory, but we live all for you and your glory alone. Father, I pray that you would show us as we go about our week coming up where we have opportunities to do the work you would have us do. Would your spirit inside us transforming us prompt us to, to step in to places where there's opportunity to do good to others, where there's opportunities to, to talk about Jesus to others. With the new <clears throat> motives, the new desire you give us, be stronger than the desire of the old sinful self. Would our identity be all about being a member of your family? Not about belonging to any other tribe or club or group, but all about being your child, your son, your daughter, a co-heir with Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go, would you hear Paul's closing words for you as you leave here? Paul said to the Galatians, and I say to you, dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Goodness faileth never. I'm nothing like if I am His, and He is mine forever. And He is mine forever. The streams of living water. So he leadeth, and where the verdant pastures grow, with food celestial feedeth.
forever within your house forever